0: The following sermon was preached at Redeeming Grace Fellowship. For more information about RGF, please visit our website at www.rgf.church. Please feel free to make copies of this sermon or distribute to friends and family. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. All right, so four more points, and then, uh, Caleb, do we go straight into uh, panel discussion, or do we take a break? We're straight into... Very brief transition moment. Okay, very good. Um, Father in heaven, now as we continue to look at these final four points, I pray that once again our... Minds and hearts would be alert. But more than that, I pray, Lord, that we would be leaning forward and that we would be eager to be receptive uh, to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Point number five. Point number five. Use sincere thanksgiving with, with peaceful contentment to teach providence. So if you want to shorten that, It's use thanksgiving to teach providence. Um, I think the most valuable tool that we have in order to maintain mental health and a proper outlook on life is to have a working knowledge of the sovereignty of God. So you're either living in a universe that is random and God is not absolutely in control, or you are living in a universe where God is sovereign, if you 're living in a universe where God is sovereign, then you learn to rest upon His providence, and when things go bad and they will, you can say job one twenty one the Lord gives the Lord takes blessed be the name of the Lord, even maybe more helpful is romans eight twenty eight and we know that God causes all things to work together. For the good of those who love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose. If you're looking for a good hymn to sing, it is the 1676 hymn, Whatever my God ordains is right." And without a firm, fixed, deep-seated conviction that God is in control of all things, and that He has a purpose in all things, I think that you will you will lose your mind. Um, We are. Responsible to teach our children. One of the things, uh, sharing the same theological convictions that you have, one of the things that we taught our children uh, was concerning the sovereignty of God in salvation, uh, that man left to himself will not seek God, but that God, before time began, chose certain individuals to be saved based upon the pleasure of his own will and that Jesus died for these people, that they will be called to salvation and that they will persevere to the end and that they will be in heaven. We taught our children this from infancy. But there's also the practical value of resting in providence and what happens. And the way that we do that is to have a thankful heart and to be content, especially when the ball does not bounce our way. So you've got an opportunity for this um, when something doesn't go your way. And as I said at the outset, many of the ways in which I have learned the things which I am teaching you today is through my mistakes and through my errors and, quite frankly, through my sins, when there would be temper, whether there would be anger, whether there would be impatience, complaining, and fault-finding. And I, I just want to point you to James one twenty which says that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When my children were very small, uh, and maybe in some cases when they were not so small, uh, one of the chief sins in my life, and I think one of the most destructive forces in me raising my children, is that I had a pretty healthy temper. Uh, that I felt great liberty to express discontent and to express it very emotionally. Now, I never struck my children in anger. I never struck a wall in anger. I never struck my wife ever, whether in anger or in any way. So it never came to the point of getting physical, but it did come to the point of getting loud and being animated, and raising my voice. And, and I think that this had a very detrimental effect upon my children. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So I learned a lot from my sin, and thankfully I was brought to repentance, and it's a battle that you have to fight all along, but I was brought to repentance dramatically, when I came in touch with the cross-centered life and looking at Jesus Christ rather than good works as the way of sanctification and the cross rather than the way of striving uh, to to be sanctified. But I still had to go back um, to my family, uh, to individuals, and then to pull them together as a whole and say, listen, I, I, I can't name every time that I did this, but I do know that growing up, uh It was frequently the case when i didn 't like something uh the volume would go up, and i would be I would be very very angry and I wanted to seek and I did seek their forgiveness and I am still susceptible to these sins and I think that the opposite is is of of this is what God ordains, and that is thankfulness uh especially so that your children will know their limitations. And so parents that can translate Reformed theology into their demeanor are effective leaders. You see, there was never a question in my mind, theologically, that God was sovereign. I always believed that, but I was not teaching that. And the reason that I was not teaching that is because when something would go wrong and I would get angry, it would be a demonstration to them that I really didn't believe that God was in charge. And I'm not talking about righteous indignation. I'm talking about sinful indignation where I was annoyed. And so I want to tell you that I have walked a path of being an angry dad in the house, and I want to tell you it is an absolute dead-end street. It, it, It gives your children a very bad view of God, and it does not produce the righteousness of God, so again, I will say parents who can translate reformed theology into their demeanors are effective leaders, uh, so believe the sovereignty of God, but show that you believe the sovereignty of God by giving thanks in all things, especially when something goes wrong. took me a long time to learn this, ladies and gentlemen, and so maybe i can I can save you some uh, some heartache, I can save you some time, probably even can save you some money. Uh, If when things go wrong, you call a family meeting, and you make a little speech, and let me just say, the speech is more for yourself, even though you are giving it to the family, but the speech is for yourself, and you just pause and you say, okay, what do we have here? What do we have here? Well, we were planning to do this, but something has come up. So here are a few questions. Did God know that this was going to happen? He absolutely knew. There's no panic in heaven right now. Uh, Did God ordain that this would happen? Yes, God ordained that this would happen. Did God ordain this to happen in order to punish us? No, he did not. He ordained this to happen for his glory and for our good. And so even though we are not enjoying this right now, even though what we originally wanted to happen is not happening, we need to pause right now and we need to give thanks. We need to give thanks for the blessings that we do have and we also need to give thanks for this mishap or for this inconvenience or for this deterrence. And this will... Uh, you make that speech to the family, but listen to it yourself and then be thankful. Um, I, 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 You know, we say... Oh, uh, kids today, they're just not appreciative, they're not thankful. Well, it's true, but every generation has been saying this. People, by nature, are not thankful. Uh, Paul writing to Timothy uh, in 2 Timothy said one of the marks uh, uh, of the of the end times, but which which Timothy would be listening to it and he'd be able to apply it at his time is that people were unthankful. So thankfulness is not something which comes naturally. Thankfulness is something which has to be taught. Uh, we by nature are selfish. We in society are being uh, uh, told that you have the right, and there's a. Sense Of immediacy, there is a sense of entitlement. So, what we really need is to develop thankful hearts, and um, this will really breed humility uh, among your children. Number six, very practical, here we go. Use joyful hospitality without petty grumbling in order to demonstrate selflessness. Use joyful hospitality without petty grumbling in order to demonstrate selflessness. First Peter chapter four verse nine says, "Show hospitality without grumbling." First of all, I, w- I want to say this about hospitality. Uh, in the Moore home, we have frequently exercised hospitality, but I do not believe, in large part, that we will be receiving any rewards in heaven for this. For the most part. Because it was not something which we have done because we were called to do it or we did it out of obedience. We simply did it because we wanted to do it and we enjoy it. Like we actually like it. When when that, when there's nobody at our house, we kind of get the jitters and say, we need to invite a bunch of people over right now. Or if there's nobody, an extra person sleeping in our house, it's kind of spooky. We want, you know, uh, you know we, we go out searching for people to to come and, and live with us. So, so for our children, Children, the majority of their lives, there has been someone who is not in our family who has been staying with us. I say that not to boast or to brag. It, it, I, I honestly believe I, don't, will, I will not be receiving any rewards for this. This is just something that we enjoy. But when it comes to raising your children... It has been a selfish act as well because what we have done is we have exposed our kids to hundreds and hundreds of house guests in their lifetime. And I say that we've done this selfishly because not only do we enjoy it and is it not a sacrifice, but it is a delight, but every time someone comes into our house, our children have an opportunity to learn. They have sat... In the fellowship of Bill Welzine and of Pastor Vernon Allen and countless other preachers who have come through, who have slept in our house, and they have been a part of the conversations, it has been a great school of learning for them to learn from these people. It has also been extremely valuable for them for some of the crazy families that have come through and things which we have seen ways ways in which ways in which husbands have treated their wives and so and so you say well uh, you know you're a pastor you shouldn't be talking behind people's backs i understand that but when my kids observe a man who sits in the chair and bosses his wife around and, and, and it doesn't treat her with love and respect, there's a great opportunity for us then to say to our sons, if God will ever give you a wife, don't you ever talk to her that way. Don't you ever treat her that way. Do you see how demeaning it was to that woman? Or when you see a, a, a woman or a man, a boy or a girl, who without any prompting at all gets up and they go over to the sink and they start to do the dishes, Savannah, do you see that? Madison, do you see that? Do you see how much that helped your mother? Do you see how much that helped our family? That was a great example that was put in front of you. So there's this school that's happening in front of you all the time through hospitality. But there's also a sense where there is a a temptation to grumble. So we love people there. We love the party. But... We also love for the party to end, and so when you have the person who really socially just doesn't understand, it's time to go. So, so we're gonna gonna be shutting her down now, and, and they're just they're just not they're not picking up any of the clues. They're just you know they're going to get themselves something else to eat at that point. That's when the temptation is to grumble or Or when their children break something and they don't even say i'm sorry or i'll replace it, or when they don't help with the dishes, um, that is when there is that's when you're, you're basically teaching your kill, your children what it means to be to be selfless, or what will happen frequently, and this is where I am so thankful for my wife is when people will will show up but they will not have they they will not have called ahead of time we don't know that they're that they're coming and and graciously my wife will invite them into the house and say here we're we're just sitting down to eat and seems as though we have plenty will you will you join us well we believe we will and and that was such a great tool for our children to see their mother never complain when someone would show up unannounced or Again, bad husband, when someone would knock at the door – and this has happened a lot – I will have forgotten to tell my wife that someone was coming to stay with us or forgotten to tell her that someone was coming to eat with us and she could win an Oscar because she plays it off as though she's expecting them and she's pinching you know, one of the kids saying, go downstairs, make the bed right now because apparently this family from Iowa is staying with us and I don't know who they are but your father has invited them to stay with us. It, it, all of that to say, you really learn selflessness by having the view that your home is not your own, that you're just passing through, that your home has been given to you and it has been given to you as a stewardship to use for the glory of God. Now, having said that, There has to be a protection of your home where you're not inviting people in who will be a danger to your family or you're not inviting people in where you do not have proper time with your family. And so you have to be direct with some people and sometimes say no or sometimes we have to be alone or could you excuse us. But for the most part, we want to teach our kids selflessness by opening our home. There are other ways. But consistent hospitality for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel will accelerate your selfless muscles. I will also say this: it has been used at least the way we use our home is a means of 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 evangelism. Um, so the, the 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 basic trick that I use with people is. Um, well, you've been, you've been coming to the church for a while now, and we really haven't gotten to know each other. Would you like to come over to our house and have a meal? And I would like to do a Bible study with you. And that is shorthand for I'm going to share the gospel with you. And I can't tell you the dozens of times that my children have sat around and they have listened to me share the gospel with people. Number one, it's good because they hear the gospel. Number two, they see, okay, what dad is doing right now is he is caring for the soul of this individual. And I think it helps them in the long run. And it's a way to teach your children, again, that the food is not yours, the stuff isn't yours, uh, that we are just here for the purpose of giving, and it is more blessed to give than to receive, Acts 20.35. Now again, you can preach it in theory, but it is better to show it through hospitality. Uh, the, gospel, uh, the gospel will be clear to your family. Number seven. I don't know what extent you've covered this already this morning, so hopefully what you're hearing now is a repeat of what you've already heard today. But number seven. Use the chastening rod with faithful consistency to eradicate foolishness. Use the chastening rod with faithful consistency to eradicate foolishness proverbs twenty two fifteen folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him proverbs twenty three verses thirteen and fourteen do not withhold discipline from a child if you strike him with a rod he will not die if you strike him with a rod you will save his soul from sheol or the grave proverbs 13:24 whoever spares the rod hates his son but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him proverbs 29:15 the rod and reproof Give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So you see this here, the rod and reproof. There are some parents who are really good with the rod. They consistently spank their children, but they don't ever explain anything. There are other parents who really are good at talking to their children and are explaining things to them, but they do not punish them. It is the rod and reproof that give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Now, I don't know, again, Caleb, to what extent you you covered this this morning. This could have its own sermon. And so let me direct you to um, the website of North Shore Baptist Church, ns-bc.org, and then go to our parenting conference, which we had on March 17th, and listen to the two sermons by Brian Davis, Parenting in Word and Parenting in Deed. And if you only have time for one of those sermons, listen to the second one, Parenting in Deed. He gives the best illustration and explanation of how and why we should spank we should spank our children and why we should punish them than any explanation that I have ever heard. Anything that I would share with you now is going to be really trite compared to what he had to share. but I will go through some of the steps that we used uh, in disciplining our children. Um, the particulars of how and when and when not to spank uh, really could be as I said dealt with in their own sermon. Uh, because there are a lot of abuses of this doctrine. But overall, here's my basic philosophy and Anna's philosophy, and that is that, um, that, that, that my heart is grieved when I see what our society is producing in terms of children who are disobedient and disrespectful. And my grief is not prompted by... How irritating it is to be around these disobedient children. But my concern stems from the fact that this foolishness in these children translates into sadness. And sadness goes far beyond the childhood years. It goes into the teenage years, and it goes into adulthood, and eventually it goes into eternity. So basically, here's how it works. The child who does not obey his or her parents is not going to obey their teachers. So when I have my after-school kids at at class, and they come in every Tuesday to uh, Pastor Ed's after-school class, I can tell you, I can tell you which kids are accustomed to listening to their parents. It's just clear right away. Because the kids who are not accustomed to it all, they're not... I mean, they are bad kids, but they're not worse kids than the other kids. They just are not accustomed to listening And so the kids who do not listen to their parents will not listen to their teachers. They will not listen to their coaches. They will not listen to their employees. They will not listen to civil authorities. They will not listen to their spiritual leaders. And ultimately, they will not listen to God. And they will say, who is he that I should submit to him? Now, I realize that one's eternal destiny is a matter of divine election. But at the same time, I also realize that God has ordained means to accomplish his end and the ordained means by which the end is to be accomplished is that foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child and the rod of correction drives it far from him. I don't think you're going to hear this in uh, secular society. I know you're not going to hear it in the public school. In fact, you're going to be told that if you spank your children that it is either child abuse or that it's archaic or that studies show that it doesn't work. And really, all of these things are, first of all, irrelevant because the word of God is what matters. But secondly, they are lies. And I don't have time today to go into all of the particulars as to how in every case we should punish our children and at what age should we stop spanking or whatever. But, but I will just generally tell you what we did and then what we changed to. So when my kids were small, we, we didn't know what to do. No one had ever taught us how to, to be parents with respect to this. So here's what we'd do. The kid would disobey and we would say, I'm going to count. One, two, and you slow down the cadence because you don't want to spank them. And so you're the fool, okay, because you're trying to motivate with this count two and a half, three, or, or, or there is the threat, and the threat, which, which, which is void, which makes things worse. Okay, have you ever gone to the beach? And there's a family and they get there and they schlep the the, the umbrella out there and the cooler and the blankets and they pour their lunch out and there's a kid who's misbehaving and the mother said, If you don't stop that, we're gonna go home right now. And it's like, No, you're not going to go home right now. You you live thirty miles away. You 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 paid ten dollars to get in here. You're not going to pack everything up and leave. It's an empty threat, and the kid knows it's an empty threat. Or idiot me. Here's one of the dumbest things I ever did in disciplining my children. I said to Parker, who loved... This is 1994. He loved The Lion King. His favorite character was Scar, which tells you there's something, you know, <laughs> amiss. And I said, if you if you misbehave again... And I had just bought him a $7.98 Scar doll. I said, if you misbehave again... You're gonna throw that away. And of course he misbehaved again and it's like, here I am, idiot me. It's my money, it's my eight dollars and change, and I make him go over and throw it into the trash can and it wasn't five minutes later until he was misbehaving again. And it's like, well, well that was, that was effective. We just threw eight dollars away and he learned nothing from it. Or the, the emotional manipulation of, of, oh, this makes daddy so sad. Do you want Daddy to be sad? I don't think they I don't think they can. I don't think it matters to them because they are so selfish, but that's not going to bring about any kind of a change. Or <clears throat> I think this was the this was the worst one and that was and this goes back to the point about my temper. hey, do, don't do that. They continue to do it. Hey, listen, Parker, listen, don't do that, okay? Back. Parker, stop it. Stop it right now. Stop it. Go back to it. Then when I go and I'm actually going to give him a spanking, at that point, I'm not I'm not, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to bring any physical harm on him. But remember that the wrath of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. So now at this point, the veins in my neck are sticking out. My countenance is, is angry. I'm laying hands on him and saying, come on, you're coming for your spanking right now. And I'm spanking him. And at this point, what is being done is not for his good. It's not being done for the glory of God. It is because I am angry and I have had enough. And so what is happening here is it is a game of Russian roulette. I can tell by the look in his face and the tone of his voice, I think I've got two more stop that before I have to actually stop that. But I don't know when it's actually going to come. So you raise a very insecure child in that sense. Because what happens if you do go and spank him on the third one rather than the fifth one? Hey, that wasn't fair. Or what happens if you don't spank him at all? Well, my dad doesn't really care. It, 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 like, it, he's spanking me for his convenience because I'm irritating him. He doesn't really care about me. And then I read Ted Tripp's book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. And what this book teaches, which is what I believe the Bible teaches, is that God has given you his parents authority. And that you have the right to tell your children what to do. And they are obligated to listen. Because you have been deputized by God to set the rules for the house. So what started to happen, and not with absolute consistency, but what started to happen after that is we said to the kids, we're going to say it one time, say it one time, in a conversational tone, if you do not obey, We will then spank you immediately. Started to work. They would disobey. Charlie, take the trash out. He didn't. Charlie, get the get the the spatula and meet me in the yellow room. Uh, and and we wonder why people don't want to use the spatulas at the Moore House. Uh, (laughs) uh, meet me in the yellow room. And and so we walk in. And so here's what you do first. Make sure that they understand why they're being spanked. Why am I spanking you right now? Because you told me to take out the trash. and What did you do? I didn't do it. When I was a little boy, there was a, a dishcloth in a sink. And I was told, ring it out. And so I brought it out because I had never heard the word ring. I didn't know what it meant. And so I brought it out and dripped water all over the floor and 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 my hands were grabbed and put back in and and I was told again ring it out and I brought it out and I was spanked but I wasn't disobeying I didn't I I I thought that the word ring and bring were the same thing I didn't know the word so make sure that when you spank the child that you speak with them and they understand why they're being spanked and if they say well i didn't hear you say all right, very good i'm not going to spank you for not taking out the garbage i'm going to spank you because you didn't hear me now from now on, just make sure you hear me that'll only happen once okay uh but but when you spank them, make sure they know and then here was our here was our rule. every family's different um, it was ten wax um, and and it was uh on their bare butt or, 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 or on their underwear and don't don't spank on top of a diaper. It, it's, it doesn't hurt. Uh, I, I mean, I haven't worn diapers and I'm not yet wearing diapers, but there's a day coming when I will. But for right now, I just know that it doesn't hurt. But, but uh, I w- would say that you, you understand why I'm spanking you. Okay, the reason I'm doing this is because I love you, and because you disobeyed me, and because God wants you to obey me. And then, and then it's not like this. it's that's it. It's over. It hurts. They cry. There's no permanent mark. There's no bruising. Stings like fire, and it's and it and it's over. And then, pull their pants up, set them on my lap, pray with them, wipe away their tears, and we walk out best of friends. It says in Hebrews that no discipline for the time seems pleasant, it seems grievous at the time. But afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know what? I never had a kid ever once that I ever spanked, and I have given quite literally hundreds of spankings. Um, never had a kid that I ever spanked that I walked out of that room where there was any animosity or bitterness or harshness between the two of us. There was always uh, love and camaraderie. There was always peace that emerged from from that room. Different kids will give you different problems. Uh, I do remember spanking Savannah when she was about four. I don't know. I probably have spanked her since, but I don't remember. But I do know that I just really didn't have to. She just obeyed. And I will tell the children after I spank them, listen, I will never spank you again. You will never get a spanking again ever if you just obey me. I'm not going to spank you for dropping a a glass. I'm not going to spank you for tripping over something. I'm not going to spank you because you couldn't figure something out. I will spank you for disobeying me. And if you obey me, you'll never get a spanking again. Savannah in her lifetime needed less than a handful of spankings. If you take the spankings that I gave Savannah, Madison, and Parker and you double them it comes to less than half of the spankings that we gave charlie there was not a day that we did not spank him we spanked him every day and most days we spanked him many times during the day and it was it was it was a relentless problem he was he was very defiant and and very slow and and just did not get it. Parker could at least manipulate. Charlie was too honest and he was so bad and he got it all the time. So some kids are going to get it more than others. But I knew you say when did when did you know that it works? I knew that it worked when I walked outside one day and uh, I was getting ready to leave to go somewhere, and Parker was going with me, and Our neighbors had a basketball hoop in their driveway and and parker 's shooting baskets I said okay let 's go park and he 's got the ball and, and I saw like, I was like reading his mind he he pulled the ball down. you know if he had taken one more shot i wasn 't going to spank him, but I knew what was going on in his mind this guy 's nuts okay i don 't know what he 's going to do he said let 's go." he means let's go and and here's the thing it's not so much so that another basketball shot will not be made but 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 it's when they get older and you say okay i really need you not to get in the car with those people i really need you okay to to, to listen if, if you start to take drugs, it's, it's going to ruin your life. And all of the wisdom that you have, they are now accustomed to listening to it. It's not for your convenience. It is for their good. Uh, it, is to, it, is to, it is to help to, to, to rescue them. So, um, the other thing I'll say about this is that many parents have come to us and Steve can attest to this over the years. And and they basically say, well, you know, we've tried it but, it, but it doesn't work. Well, it's kind of like the guy who, you know, gets a gym membership and goes four or five times and looks in the mirror and says, this isn't helping anything. You know, you, you're going to have to do it over a long period of time. And the other thing is you're going to have to do it consistently. So if one time you say, well, this is, you know, uh, this is one time you're going to get spanked. And then the next time you either don't spank them or it's four or five uh, times that you remind them of something and then you spank them again, that's not going to help one and done consistent and you will see change. And number eight, finally, finally, and most importantly, Use the practical gospel with personal applications to reproduce disciples. Number eight, use the practical gospel with personal applications to reproduce disciples. Let me go back to seven for a second. There's something very important that I needed to say that I forgot, and that is that discipline is an act of love. And so when God disciplines us, it is because he loves us. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And so when we discipline our children, it is because we love them, not because they're making our lives convenient. Number eight, use the practical gospel with personal applications to reproduce disciples. In other words, show them how grace works. And here's how you do it. It's, it's really simple to understand, but really hard to do. You are a sinner, and I am a sinner, and we sin, and we sin in front of our children, and then they see us sin. And so we need grace. And our children need grace. But here's the thing you want to keep in mind here. You need grace. And you're going to need it throughout your entire life. If your children are under the impression that you have it all together, they are going to have a warped view of humanity, sanctification, salvation, and what it means to be a man or to be a woman. You are a sinner, and you need grace. They know you need grace. And most parents show their kids how to do things. You show your kid how to drive. You show your kid how to catch a baseball. You show your kid how to cook. You show your kids how to do laundry, how to cut the grass, how to figure out math problems. You you show your kids everything. Why should grace be something that is self-learned? So teach the importance of the gospel. You tell them every day that you love them, and you tell them every day that the gospel is of first importance, and you tell them what the gospel is. And here we go, guys. Look at me. Look at me. Here we go. You've got to know this. This is crazy, but in really good churches, in really good churches, I talk to children, and I talk to teenagers, and I say, sometimes even children of pastors, and I say, what is the gospel, and they don't know. It is an answer that sounds like, well, if you're good, you go to heaven, and if you're bad, you go to hell, or you just have to try, or whatever. You need to tell your children the gospel and never assume that they know the gospel. And even if you are sure that they know the gospel, tell them the gospel again, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures, that it is not by our works, but it is by grace through faith, that it is the gift of God. You need to tell them that God did the work, that Jesus Christ is their substitute, that he is their life. You need to have Jesus, Jesus, Jesus in in front of them in terms of information, but you also need to teach the implications of the gospel, and that is not only how to be saved, but also how to be sanctified and how to grow. Now, I'm assuming that you're saved. If you are, you need to teach them your personal need for the gospel when you sin. You are going to sin, and when you do, there is the temptation, at least there is with me, when I sin in front of people that I want to respect me, the temptation is for me either just to take it directly to the Lord or just sort of to pretend that it didn't happen or to somehow make an excuse or to equivocate or to give an explanation as to why this happened or whatever. But the fact of the matter is... When we sin in front of other people, we need to be humble. so teach your children the need for the gospel. when you sin, call a family meeting and 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 just and, and the sooner the better. okay guys, come on let's go everybody in the house listen uh, back at that traffic light back there okay the guy who who, who cut me off. You, you you remember that it happened six minutes ago? You need to know your father did something which was sinful. Uh, first of all, uh, I I I I called the man an idiot, and, and secondly, when I when I rolled down the window, and, and, and I told the guy uh, told the guy off, or whatever it was that I that I said to him. Uh, You need to know that this is not the way that a Christian behaves. This is not the way that Jesus behaved. When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. But your father just retaliated. And and the Bible says, do not overcome evil. uh, uh, Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And so what I need you to do, children, is I need you to forgive me. Because I have sinned in front of you and I've sinned against God and And the Bible says that if we confess our sins he 's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, but you also need to know children that I have sinned against you, and I want you to forgive me and so i 'm not making any excuses. This is not because I was tired it wasn 't because I was frustrated it 's not because I was raised this way it 's not because of my ethnicity it 's not because of an old habit it 's not because the man provoked me i 'm just wrong, and i 'm guilty, and i 'm sorry. And I want to make steps not to do this again. But the bottom line, children, is this. I am a sinner, and I need grace, and I need Jesus, and I need the gospel. When was the last time that you sinned in the presence of your kid or committed um, a sin which impacted them? And then I follow that up by asking, when was the last time you sought their forgiveness with a broken and a humble spirit and showed them your need for Christ? You see, we expect them to be honest. We expect them to be responsible. We expect them to be contrite. We expect them to be repentant. We expect them to be sorry for their offenses. And the best way to teach that is to model that. Several years ago, um, we were having a sermon uh, uh, series on the lawn at North Shore Baptist Church and each of our elders were to preach 5 or 6 minutes on a on a subject and and it was a saturday and of course the service was on sunday and my son parker asked me he says are you are you done with your sermon well, immediately I thought in my mind, first of all, I don't want to admit that it's Saturday and I haven't yet finished my sermon. And secondly, it's only a five-minute sermon, so I can put it together pretty quickly. And, and, and third, I kind of know what I'm going to say. And fourth, I really don't want to look bad in front of him. And so I said, yeah, I'm good to go, good to go. And it just, it just bothered me like all day. I lied to him. I was not finished. I had not written it down. I was irresponsible. W- worse than being irresponsible, I was a liar. I lied to him. And so before I got up to preach that day, I had to call him and I had to say, you know, you asked me a very simple question yesterday. It was a yes or no question. The question was, did I finish my sermon? And said I did, but the truth of the matter is I didn't. And the reason that I said I didn't is because I'm a liar. God hates lies. Thankfully, I have a good Savior who forgives liars like me. So I've asked God to forgive me. But Parker, I want you to forgive me too because I didn't tell you the truth. You see, sin... Now, I want to say this. Sins which are committed privately. um, You and your wife have an argument uh, and it's, it's in private, you don't have to go in front of the kids and say you know, exactly what you were arguing about. If it's, if it's done in front of them, then you need to confess it in front of them, but you don't have to confess every private sin to your kids if it's something that doesn't impact them. But this is, there's also another practical way that you can use the gospel to reproduce disciples, is to extend mercy. And here's what I mean by that. Even when you use the rod, use it with gentleness and under control. You see, to be godly means to be godlike. And when God disciplines us, he is firm, but he is also loving and gentle. And so what God deals like with you, you want to deal with your children that way, with patience and restoration His discipline stings, but it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness, as I said earlier, and he's not harsh in his demeanor. And when we are, it is not producing righteousness. So spank your kids to the glory of God and let them feel the sting, but make sure they know the lesson at the end of it, and that is that God is a God of mercy. James 2.13, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, Mercy triumphs over judgment. And again, you've got to have a good memory to be a parent because when your kid does something that's really stupid, before you act, you you just got to remember some of the stuff you did. Galatians six one. if anybody's taken in a fault, you were a spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Some of the stuff I did as a kid, I, I... I, 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 to this day, have not told my children about this. It's too embarrassing. I haven't told my wife about this stuff. It's too embarrassing. Maybe be merciful in light of the fact of what you were like and what God saved you from. So show the gospel. Explain the gospel. Be merciful and admit that you yourself need the gospel. You see, your kids are either going to grow up in a performance-driven home or a grace-driven home. And the former either produces hypocrites who learn that they must pretend to be something that they are not, or they will be rebels who know that they can't live up to your standards so they don't even try, or they will be Pharisees who outwardly conform and they are proud of it. So if, if you live if you live in a home where sin is never talked about and sin is never confessed and the gospel is never confessed, uh, um, uh, 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 applied, you're either going to have hypocrites or you're going to have rebels or you're going to have Pharisees. But if you have a grace driven home, it's going to produce disciples who understand grace, who extend grace, and who seek grace. Use the practical gospel with personal application to produce disciples. So, 50 years from now or 75 years from now, when everybody in this room is dead, and someone asked your child, tell me about your dad, tell me about your mom. What was your dad like? There's going to be a lot of things which they're going to say which will be embarrassing about your legacy. But here's what you want them to say. My mom was an actual Christian. My dad was a real Christian. A real genuine Christian. He loved Jesus. He obeyed Jesus. He prioritized his kingdom. And they understood the gospel and how the gospel worked practically. And when they sinned, they owned their own sin. And when we sinned, they showed mercy. They lived and they loved the gospel. And finally, more than what they say about us half a century from now, and it's going to be really interesting if my kids are alive in 50 years, what they say about me and my wife. What is going to matter is how they turn out. And your most effective, powerful tool to influence their character is the gospel. Spoken, taught, learned, applied, sung about, emphasized, lived out the importance of the gospel in how you raise your children. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity that I've had to address this dear congregation today. Lord, I I, I pray that maybe... Each person could just maybe take one thing home that would be of help to them and to their children. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.